Howdy. Howdy. I guess I won't be using that after all. Uh, this is not what you think it is. I am not draw, trying to draw attention to myself. Welcome to Mission Sunday. Uh, you're, you're sending missionary, one of them, uh, Jason and Aaron, out in the middle of the Canadian prairies in Saskatoon attending church this morning on behalf of the mission endeavor. Mission takes on various forms, and uh, our, our guest speaker this morning actually is wearing two hats, and you'll see that in a moment. Missionaries wear various hats doing various things of to know him and to make him known. That's what missions is all about. And uh, I, I heard, uh, actually our guest is uh, our musician this morning, uh, Lynn Bowman, and uh, she needs no introduction. I don't need to be here. She can do quite well on her own. But uh, I, I heard about her missions project and her endeavor that she's going to be embarking in shortly, and I was very excited about it. Uh, in, in light of Pastor Ernest's message last Sunday about the Good Samaritan, I'm struck by the fact that the scripture that says, if you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. That's very convicting. And uh, Lynn's going to be involved in a medical missions trip to Peru. Not today, but soon. Not for money. It's a gift from her heart. And not alone. She's going with her mom. I think that's very cool. I'm excited about what you're doing, Lynn. And uh, for someone who's wearing two hats today, kudos to you. Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing today? So I am so excited to tell you about a missions trip I am taking this summer. So I'm going to Arequipa, Peru. And I will be traveling with Medical Missions International, and I will be doing an eye mission. So most of you probably don't know, but I work in optometry from Monday to Friday. I work for Huron Optometric, and I'm mostly in their Godrich location. And I'm going to be taking the training that I have gotten there to go to the poor people in Arequipa, Peru. And we will be doing a number of things. There's going to be a team of 15 of us from across Canada and the United States. There are going to be four ophthalmologists and nursing staff traveling with us. And they will be doing eye surgeries right there on site. There's going to be four optometrists. And they're going to be doing eye exams for people right there on site. And then there's about four or five assistants like me. We'll be helping the optometrist doing some pre-testing. We will be taking 20,000 pairs of donated glasses with us and giving out approximately 3,000 or so to people after they have their eyes tested. I'll be fitting them with donated glasses so that they can see. So I'm just going to take a quick poll here. How many people um, in their daily life need to wear glasses or contacts or something like that in order to do school? And how many of you would be able to do school, do your job, earn money, have a comfortable life if you did not have glasses or contacts? Would you be able to earn a living, do your schoolwork? Many of the people in Arequipa, Peru, are impoverished or homeless because they don't have basic eye care. 
And you can't be a carpenter, you can't be a seamstress, you can't learn at school if you don't have glasses. So the I part of our mission is half of it, and then the other half of it is ministry, and it's just as important to the team going, and just as important to Medical Ministries International, the spiritual part. So while there's 15 of us going from across the United States and Canada, there are countless more volunteers from Peru that will be there. I don't speak Spanish at all. So all of us on the team will have an interpreter so that we can communicate with the people. There are countless local pastors. Everybody who comes to the I mission hears the message of salvation, and then they do personal one-on-one ministry for anybody who wants to. While people are waiting for their turn for surgery or waiting for their turn to see the optometrist, the pastors are moving around and finding out, does anybody need prayer? Does anybody want a Bible? Can I plug you into a local church? And they also try to do their help with social assistance as well. If there's another need that they have, they know the language, they know the culture, and they know the programs that are already in place. I've had people ask me, am I going to lead worship? No. I'm going to be just focusing on the optometry part while the pastors that are there are going to be focusing on the ministry part. But we're all just part of a big team. You guys that are helping me, the volunteers that are there, and all of us that are going. I'm going to be showing a quick six-minute video, and it's going to show how um, the mission is set up. It is not unusual for a 1,000 people to show up on the first day of the I-Mission. There has not been an I-Mission in Peru since 2019 due to COVID, so they are expecting that number to be even higher. So we'll just quickly watch that video there. Dr. Jeff Rutgard, and I have the privilege of being an eye surgeon on MMI uh, extravaganzas, and this is one of them. Well, the most common cause of blindness in this realm are cataracts, and the amazing, wonderful part is that these are curable, um, it's a curable blindness. 
by doing cataract surgery on all these people who are poor and blind, we can restore their vision so that they can see again, take care of their families, um, helpful as breadwinners, and being part of the community. Muy bien, gracias a Dios. Muy bien, me ido muy bien. Llegué ayer como a las 4 de la mañana. Me hospedé en un hotel. Aquí estoy. Fui a la, a la, al colegio donde están haciendo la, 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 las... Pues la brigada, entonces me atendieron inmediatamente y ya estamos en esto, ya estoy acá. La cirugía, gracias a Dios por tantos favores prestados con esta gente que Dios los ha enviado con un fin para servir a nosotros que hemos perdido la vista. Porque... Entonces doy gracias a Dios que todo salió bien, yo ni arrabió ni nada, todo, todo bien, gracias a Dios y, y a la brigada también porque son una, son, son gente que son especialmente... volver a nacer nuevamente porque mi ojo izquierdo tiene mucha visión la había perdido y tengo muy buena visión con mi ojo izquierdo nuevamente y bueno agradecido de todo este equipo de trabajo que, que nuestro Dios hizo posible que viniera hasta acá para devolvernos la salud visual a los que estábamos limitados which is that inflammatory growth across the eye and everything went well and hopefully that will prevent blindness in this eye and stay away you know so but we have to prevent infections and inflammatory reactions from happening down the road now so uh pedro is doing very well so Yo he visto varios casos así de mucho éxito, claro es uh, como um, algo que se hace para el autoestima, la autoestima, eh, la gente se siente mucho más, más um, uh, pues su autoestima. This gentleman here, we're trying to match the color of his iris and his sclera, and uh, he had his eye enucleated, like the iris removed. Ah. Es que al paciente le sacaron el ojo y entonces le están intentando encontrar una prótesis suficiente grande y para eh, hacer que tenga el mismo color del ojo natural. sensación extraña debido a que ya fueron siete años estando después del accidente y todo es cuestión de tiempo acostumbrarse que todo salga bien de aquí en adelante claro, el pastor que siempre me ayudó el pastor johnny que fue uno de los que siempre estuvo ahí empujándome colaborándome para que todo saliera bien y que le echara ganas
ni de lejos tampoco. Eh, me mandaron eh, gafas de, de, para ver cerca y ver de lejos. Y muy agradecida, muy contenta con todo. So I leave July 22nd. I'll be working the whole day at work because I don't fly out till midnight. And I come back on August the 6th. So I will be there for two weeks doing that I mission. When you read in the Gospels, people came to Jesus for physical healing, right? Lameness, blindness, whatever it was. But then they received spiritual healing. And so often, those two are connected, right? When they receive that physical healing, they're hungry for that spiritual healing. Um, so you're probably wondering how you can help. The first and most important way is I need your prayer covering. I can't do this on my own. I can't. I need prayer for safety. We are not in the best part of Arequipa, and there have been safety concerns in the past. So do pray for my safety while I'm there. Pray for my health when I'm there. It's still the middle of a pandemic, and I'm crazy enough to do this. So please pray for my health when I'm there, and pray for wisdom when I'm there. This is a lot different than what I do Monday to Friday. This is not the same as going in and getting everything perfect and ordering the perfect frame and the perfect lenses and having it all nice and neat. These are donated frames. I'm doing, let's get the best we can for these people. So do pray for wisdom. And then the second thing I need is I do need financial support. One of the cool things is I literally cannot do this on my own. There is no way. And that's awesome because when I can't do it on my own, that's when God shows up. And I know it's all him because I can't do it. So if you need a tax receipt, then do the giving online with that link that Heidi said. Um, but I do appreciate it, and I will be taking lots of pictures. And if I'm invited to do so, I'd love to give you guys an update when it's all done as well. I will be available for any questions you have um, after the service. So now I want to go to um, the next part of this. You guys probably don't know this about me yet, but I get just as excited about the Bible as I do worship. Can you believe it? I love it. So we're going to start by reading Luke 18, 35 to 39. And it says this. So just go to the next slide there for me. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. How many of you have been told to be quiet before? If you are kids, for sure, and even us adults, we're told to zip it a few times. And sometimes God has told me to zip it a few times too, honestly. And sometimes we do, but sometimes we need to speak up. And the first point I want to talk about in this passage is, I won't be quiet. Um, this is a little bit of a testimony here, but my first eight or nine years, I was raised in a church that taught that women were to be silent in the church. Like, don't speak at all, don't have any part of the service, don't even teach Sunday school past the age of 12. We were to be quiet. If we have a question, you're to ask your husband later. That's how I spent my first eight or nine years. 
And when my parents left that church, I never would have thought that that lie would have held me captive in some way. But roll forward through the years, and I'm leading worship at Exeter Pentecostal, and it's a Sunday night service. I don't remember there being anything extraordinary. We finished up our song at the end, and Pastor Bob came up to me, and he said, God wants me to break something off of you tonight. And I'm like, what? Like, I don't know anything. And he's like, it has to do with your voice. And immediately I think about singing in worship. And he's like, no, 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 not your singing voice, your speaking voice. And he says to me, what's the first thing that comes to mind when somebody says, be quiet, don't speak? And even though I hadn't had that memory for who knows how many years, immediately my brain went to those early years in that church where I was told as a woman I was to be silent. And so I told him about that. And he said, God wants you to have freedom tonight. He told me that in order for you to be and do all that he created you to be and do, you need to have a voice. So he and a bunch of women prayed over me that night and broke some things off of me. A lie I didn't even know was holding me captive. Chains that were holding me bound. I had always heard God's voice speaking to me when I was leading worship, but I didn't have the courage to speak up. I didn't have the courage to say what God was telling me to say. I could hear prophetic songs sometimes and music, but I wouldn't step out and do it. And honestly, this is still a journey for me. I'm still learning to speak up. But God wants us to speak up. He has created all of us with a voice. Men, women, children. On that note, teenagers and children that are here, there is no junior Holy Spirit. You have the same Holy Spirit in you if you are a believer that Pastor Ernest does. There is no junior Holy Spirit. You have a voice, and God wants you to speak up too. The second point I want to make in this part is how much God loves perseverance. Now, we hear a lot about what God loves, but we don't talk a lot about how God loves perseverance. You guys ever heard a sermon on how God loves perseverance? Probably not. We're going to look at Luke 18, 1 to 5. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. See, I told you, God loves perseverance. He doesn't want you to stop praying about things. He wants you to keep praying and not give up. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. You guys ever met anybody like that? And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice. So she won't eventually come and attack me. What a crazy story. He thinks this widow is going to come and attack him because she will not give up because he wasn't listening. But in the verses we read, the people around that man were telling him to be quiet. And he shouted all the more. If he had given up, what would have happened? Would he have got his healing that day? I don't know. But in this parable, it is obvious that God loves perseverance. So whatever it is that you've been praying for that you feel discouraged about, is it a job situation? Do you have a prodigal son or daughter that you've been praying for? 
Is it a financial uh, situation? God wants you to keep praying and not give up. Don't stop. God loves that perseverance. And if he could change the heart of a judge who didn't care about people at all, and your heavenly father loves you so much, how much more will he do in your situation if you pray and you do not give up? We're going to look at one more reason to pray and not stop. We're going to look at Revelation 5, 7 to 8. This is such a cool picture of heaven. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. Picture that. They are holding these huge golden bowls. The fragrance coming off them is like incense, and it's the prayers of God's people. Have you ever thought about your prayers being used in worship up in heaven? That the smell of those prayers is coming before Father God, and he loves it. Does that not just blow your mind? If there were no other reason to keep speaking up and to keep praying about a situation, knowing that it's being used in worship in heaven is so amazing. So I want you to say this with me. I will speak up. We're going to look at the next part of this passage, Luke 18, 40 to 41. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Isn't that amazing? Can you imagine having Jesus stop and stand in front of you and say, what would you like me to do for you? But the reality of it is, he is. He is up in heaven. When we come to him and we pray, he is saying, what would you like me to do for you? He cares about every little thing we're going through. Now, think about this beggar. He was probably not the best looking guy. He didn't have a lot of charisma. He was probably dirty, stinky, and definitely he was noisy too. We learned that from the last passage. And he was a person that the disciples wanted to zip it. Be quiet. Don't bother the master. Don't do any of this. So when we look at a person, we don't see them the way Jesus sees them. Want to look at the second part. 1 Samuel 16, 7. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You are precious, you're important, and you're wanted by Jesus. There's no second-class people in this world. Every single human being, old, young, regardless of the country they come from, the religion that they practice, Regardless of anything, every single person is important and wanted by Jesus. And he is standing there saying, what would you like me to do for you? Will you say with me, I am wanted by Jesus. Jesus. All right, we're going to go to the next part, Luke 18.40. And he tells Jesus what he wants. He says, Lord, I want to see. He was no doubt talking about his physical sight, the blindness that he had. But Jesus looks at the heart, 
and he saw that he had a spiritual hunger as well. We're going to look at Ephesians 1.18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. What difference would it make in your life if you, the eyes of your heart were enlightened so that you could see spiritual things, see the world as Jesus sees the world? Could you imagine having that much sight? That would be incredible. I'm going to tell you one of my favorite Bible stories from the Old Testament, though I probably need to tell you I would probably say all of them are my favorite, but this one I like because it is incredibly strange. If you were praying for a miracle and God said, this is the way I'm going to do this, you would be like, no. So let me set up the picture for you. So we're in way Old Testament times, and we have the king of Israel, and nearby there's the king of Aram. And this isn't a war, like the two of them are fighting against each other. The king of Aram wants Israel's country and wants all of the things that they have. And he is randomly setting up uh, ambushes and attacking them and doing all of these things. Um, and Israel is really just trying to kind of avoid the whole situation. But the king of Aram, he just, he just wants to keep attacking them. So the king of Aram comes up with a plan, a really great plan of how he's going to attack Israel. And Israel just kind of avoids the whole thing. And then he comes up with another great plan. And Israel just kind of avoids the whole situation. And this goes on for some time. And then the king of Aram, he gets really suspicious. He's like, all right. Which one of you is the spy for Israel? And all of his officers are like, it's not me. I'm not telling him anything. And then finally, one of his officers speaks up and he says, the king of Israel has a prophet and his name is Elisha. And Elisha tells him, even what you say in your bedroom. Can you believe it says that in the Bible? Like, how weird is that? I would be, like, totally creeped out. But that was what was happening. All of the plans that the king of Aram came up with, Elisha got downloaded by God and then told the king of Israel, and then they just came up with a plan to avoid the whole situation. So the king of Aram comes up with a new plan. It's not the brightest, but still, it's a plan. And his plan is to take out Elisha. Now, you would think if he sat down and thought about it for a minute, that if Elisha knew all of the other plans, that he would know this plan too. But anyway, um, the king of Aram isn't the brightest guy. So he comes up with this plan, and he is going to do this full force. He's going to get all of his horses, all of his chariots, all of his warriors, and he's going to surround the town where Elisha is. So picture this. You've got Elisha, and you've got his servant, they're in their pajamas. They wake up and they step outside their door to have a nice breath of fresh air before they eat their breakfast. And what do they see? And in, surrounded by an entire army, horses, chariots. Imagine the sound of that. And they'd be like, whoa. Now, I don't know who you would be more like, Elisha or the servant. Personally, I'm a lot more like the servant. The servant starts freaking out. And he was like, do you not see this? We're surrounded by horses and chariots. And, 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 and Elisha has a cool prayer. So we're going to take a look at the next scripture here. 2 Kings 6.17. And Elisha prayed, 
Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. How amazing would that be? Now, if you don't know the story, you're probably assuming that the next thing that's going to happen is that Elisha is going to call down that angelic army and he's going to beat up all the king of Aram's forces and send them on their way and a mighty victory would be had, right? No. This story is much, much weirder than that, I'm telling you. So Elisha then prays a prayer and asks God, to blind all of the soldiers in this army. And you're like, okay, that's pretty cool. Now they won't even see it coming. But no, 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 this is not God's plan at all. So then Elisha, being the ever helpful prophet of God, saunters up to them and says, hey, I know who you're looking for, and I even know where he is. Just follow me. So he gets the army all their chariots and horses to follow him and he takes them all the way to the city where the king of Israel is and leads them right into the center of the city. Now honestly, it is pretty clear in the Bible that the king of Israel had no idea what to do. Like, none. He says to Elisha, like, should we kill them? And Elisha's like, no! No, let's cook them a banquet! What? Would you do this to the enemy army? I mean, they've been trying to kill you. They've been bothering you. They're probably burning people's barns. Are you going to cook them a banquet? Now think about this. This is not like taking them out to the cowbell, right? We're talking ancient times. This takes time. You have to go out there. You have to kill a cow. You have to carve it up. You have to, like, prepare it. You have to dig up the vegetables and clean them. This is going to take hours and hours. So Elisha prays for the army and says, Okay, God, you can unblind their eyes. And then there they are. They're in the middle of the city. And they're like, And we're going to cook you a feast. I have no idea what that whole army did while they were preparing the feast. I'm pretty sure it was awkward and weird. But anyway, they make them this entire feast. And when the feast is over, they're like, and you can go. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. Have a good trip back to the king of Aram. And then the Bible tells us that the king of Aram stopped invading them, left them alone. There was peace. Is that not the weirdest way? Like, when you think of all the stories in the Old Testament, this has got to be weirder than going around a city seven times and blowing your trumpets and having the walls fall down. But God is such a creative God, isn't he? Just like there's like no two miracles that are the same. When you read the Old Testament, all the stories of how he brought victory to the Israelites, they're all different too. And this one is just way out there. But it worked because Elisha had his eyes open. When you have the eyes of your heart opened, you have big faith because you can see how many are with you, not just the ones, the the few that are against you. When you have the eyes of your heart opened, you're not worried because you know that God owns the cattle on the thousand hills. 
When you have the eyes of your heart opened, you're not afraid of the future because you know that God is already there. We need to have the eyes of our heart open so that we are not blind. And I'm not talking about just becoming a Christian. I think there's a lot of believers that don't have the eyes of their heart open. They don't see how big God is. When you look at all of these Old Testament stories, nobody had shut a lion's mouth before Daniel did it, but he believed that God could. Nobody had been in a fiery furnace turned up, what, 10 times hotter and survived it? But those guys didn't care. When Daniel looked at Goliath, nobody else had taken out a giant. But he believed that God could do it. And we have so much more. They had maybe a couple of books of the Bible, mostly just passed down from one generation to another. But we have the whole Bible. We have all the stories. We have all the life of Jesus. We have all of the apostles. And we need to have big, big faith. We need to have faith bigger than Daniel, bigger than David, bigger than Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And if your faith isn't as big as God, then pray that the eyes of your heart would be opened, that they would be enlightened. Because God wants to do that for you. All right. I want you to say with me, I want to see. see. All right, the last point we are going to read. I got ahead of my notes there or behind them or something. Luke 18, 42 to 43. And Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. And when all the people saw it, they also praised God. I want to talk about worship. I bet you guys are surprised. (laughs) But look here. It's about worship. As soon as he was healed, he started praising God. He was thankful. I think sometimes we complicate it, don't we? Worship is just thanking God. It's just praising God for what he's done. Nobody gave this guy a whole Bible study on how to worship. He was just thankful. And here's the most important part. Do you see that last line there? And then all, when all the people saw it, They also praise God. Worship is catchy. It is catchy. Catchier than COVID. When you start to worship, there's a ripple effect that others around you start to worship too. I've kind of had the opposite happen a few times too. Don't know if it's happened to you. But you've come into a service and you are super excited about what God is doing in your life. And the music starts, and music is only a part of worship, I'm aware. But the music starts and you're super excited and then you kind of look around and you're like, huh, everybody else is just singing. And you feel kind of awkward and you're like... I'm excited, God, but I really don't want to, like, stand out and, you know, be the only one worshiping in that place. When you choose not to worship, you affect other people, too. And God has been working with me and putting me on a journey that says, you're here for me, forget about everybody else, and just worship me anyways. Now, 
When you're on a mountaintop, you've just been healed of blindness, whatever it is, it's pretty easy to praise God, right? But what about in the valley times in our life? And we all have valley times. You can't have mountains without the valleys. When it's hard to worship. I want us to look at Acts 16, verses 25 to 26. So just before we read that, Paul and Silas have been thrown in prison for preaching. Um, And the prison that they were in would not have been nice and cushy like our prisons. So three years ago, I did a mission trip to Mexico. And one of the things that I had to do was go and preach in a Mexican prison. I'm telling you, before we entered the door, you could smell it. It was nauseating. They had big rooms, not quite as big as the front of this stage, and there was a hole in one corner. Sometimes there was a hole in in two corners, and that was the bathroom. And you pack 30 men, and by the way, for most of them, their crime was homelessness. Because it's illegal in Mexico to be homeless. They would just run around. The police would, if they were bored, just run around, gather up all the homeless, throw them in jail for a couple days and let them go. And you have a hole in the ground. It's like basically living in an outhouse. You guys all know what an outhouse smells like. Now, the prison that Paul and Silas in were probably much, much worse than the Mexican prison that I was in. By the way, mouth breathing does help. Um, I needed God in a big way that day, let me tell you. Um, but this would have been bad. And I know you guys know the end of the story. But Paul and Silas didn't. They had no idea. They're thrown in prison for not doing anything wrong except preaching about their God. And it says it's at midnight. And I think this is literal and spiritual. It was dark because it was the middle of the night. But I think it was a low point in their life too at midnight. But they chose... To worship. They chose to sing hymns. They chose to pray. They had no idea what was coming. None whatsoever. But they were going to worship and they were going to pray no matter what. Right? So let's read here. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundation of the prison were shaken. All at once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. So worshiping and praying, an earthquake happens. That's pretty cool. That's never happened when I've worshipped yet. I'm waiting for that one. Wouldn't that be cool? Wow. And, but look at that last line. All the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. Their worship, their prayer didn't just set them free, right? It set free the people around them. They were probably not happy about the whole worship session, but their chains still came off. So when we worship in those dark times, when we pray in those dark times, powerful things happen. It is such a powerful choice to worship when your heart is breaking. When your whole world is crumbling. When all you've got is clinging to your God and Savior and trusting that he is going to show up. That he will be your shield. 
that he will be your fortress. Worship impacts everybody, not just you. Your prayers don't just impact you. They impact everybody around you as well. And that's why I'm so passionate about worship. I could probably preach a hundred sermons on worship. There's so many aspects to it. It is such an amazing privilege that we have. And it's so powerful when all of us together are saying, Jesus, I love you. Wow. Prayer is so powerful too. Some of the biggest breakthroughs that I've had in my life were at the front of the church with someone praying for me. And honestly, I think it's a lie of Satan that says you can do it on your own. I'll just pray for it at home. It's the same God. I'm just going to pray to him. And I'm not going to go and tell somebody else about this. But there's something so powerful when we're vulnerable with somebody. When we go to them, we say, I trust you, and I just need help. And many times when I came forward for prayer, the person who was praying for me had a word from God for me. That was just what I needed to hear at that moment. Just what I needed to have that faith to step out. Or just what I needed for that healing. At the end of the service, you'll have opportunity for prayer. If what I said about having your voice being loosed, that you have a voice and you need to share it, I want you to come forward. I know they'll be glad to pray with you and have healing in that area. If you feel like you don't see yourself as God sees you as precious and important, come forward because they're going to pray for you. If you feel like you need to have more freedom in worship, that something is holding you back, from really expressing to God how you feel, they'll be glad to pray for that too. And if you need your eyes open so that you can see the world as God sees it, and you can see how big and powerful and awesome and creative he is, I want you to come forward for prayer because they'd be glad to pray with that too because when that happens, everything changes. The word of God comes alive. Like everything, you just see everything in different light. I want to thank you guys for letting me share here today. And I want to uh, thank you guys for allowing me to lead worship and, and join with you guys in worship. I just want to say a quick prayer, and then we will close with our final s- song. So, Heavenly Father, I come to you today, and I just give you everything. God, I just want to give you all of me. For you to use as you see fit. Because only when I completely surrender to you can I line up with your will and do things your way and do the things that you created me to do. Thank you, God, for hearing us. Thank you for creating all of us with a voice to speak. Treating every single person as they're important and precious. Thank you, God, for opening our eyes so that we can see the world as you see it. And see how big and powerful you are. And thank you, God, for allowing us to worship you and impact those around us with our worship and our prayers. 
You are such an amazing God. Thank you that we don't do life. We don't do things all on our own, that you want us to be in community with others and get help from others and to worship with others. And God, I just pray a blessing over uh, my trip to Arequipa, Peru. I just pray that you would just guide me and direct me. Keep me safe, Lord. And God, I just pray that you would show up in mighty ways with those people of Arequipa, Peru, that there would be so many salvations, so many lives changed that the churches would just burst. We just pray this in your name. Amen.